0: For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for fly fishing culture and conservation.
1: He was tying feathers on a hook. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a beadhead.
0: You heard it right, folks. We're back on the air. For now, I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of The Drake Cast is brought to you by Deli Fresh Design. So you're out on the water, you tie your fly onto your 5X tippet, and then you trim the knot. But what do you do with that extra snippet of tippet? Well, Deli Fresh designer Ross White has come up with the answer. It's essentially a trash can for your tippet and spend lead and stuff like that. So, you know, whenever you're on the water, you can nip all your tippet into a little bag and uh, avoid accidentally letting it into the river. These containers look great, and better yet, they're made from recycled waiters. If you want to keep your water fresh while looking fresh, check out DeliFresh at delifreshdesign.com. We're also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. My name is Jaco Lucas. Um, I've been a professional fly fishing guide for about 13 years now. And this week, we're meeting the best-known pornographic fly fishing filmmaker in the business, Jaco Lucas, who also happens to be a Yellow Dog ambassador. Started off lucky enough guiding in the Seychelles and uh, moved on from there to Norway, Mongolia,
1: did Russia. And from there onwards, I've just kind of become an exploratory angler. So just trying to all new destinations and go and push the limits as far as I can and see whatever available po- fisheries we still have to pioneer.
0: Yakko's traveling the world finding the next best place to fish. To find your next adventure, visit yellowdogflyfishing.com. Alrighty, onto the show. Well, actually, before we start, just a quick announcement. Or really, it's its a request. This is a call for audience participation. You've heard enough about our adventures and prejudices. Now we want to hear your stories. Specifically, we want to hear about your favorite fish. This can be in the form of an essay, a haiku, a funny story, really anything. Whatever it is, make a recording on your phone and email it to us at Elliot E-L-L-I-O-T-T at drakemag.com. We can't wait to hear what you put together. Okay, now actually on to the show. Cool, we're rolling? We are rolling. And we are rolling on my end as well. Perfect.
1: A couple weeks ago, I got on the phone with this guy. <laughs> Oh, this is Andy Stepanian. Um, I'm in Texas uh, where I live. It's hard for me when I'm in an elevator when people ask me what I do. I don't really have like a one thing I can say. I can't say I'm an accountant. Because Andy has a lot of titles. I'm a musician in a band called Wrinkle Neck Mules and I'm in this relatively new musical project called Leon the Third. Yeah, in between all those things, I've got, got a family and uh, like to like to fish, like to travel. But Andy has one other
0: claim to fame, and to introduce the topic at hand, here's a little story.
1: Yeah, I was in Costa Rica at a place called Playa Avellanes, which is a surf break there, and there's these bungalows there called uh, Cabinas Las Hoyas. You know, you you come in from surfing, I think we'd gotten in in the night and um, gotten up the next morning and, and gone out, and then... We're coming back. We're eating breakfast there, and that's when you know we heard these. When you don't really know what it is, it's, it it takes you it takes you by surprise. You know, heller monkey. It's really a powerful sound, and <laughs> But it was almost like whenever I'm hearing that, I knew I was doing something that I loved. And so that was it. Boom, Halloween Brothers. That was like the end of it. We knew absolutely that this was the essence of what we were trying to do. You know, I can remember it like it was yesterday, really.
0: In this episode of the DrakeCast, we'll hear Andy Stepanian tell the story of how he and his best friends, slash bandmates, slash co-founders, Chase and Mason, started the iconic brand Howler Brothers. However, you can't tell the story of Howler Brothers without getting into some of the music that they've made. So from here on out, we'll strictly be playing music that Andy and his friends have recorded. And best of all, this is where I stop talking. It's Andy's story, so it's all going to be in Andy's voice. So here we go.
1: Oh, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, the Commonwealth of Virginia is my home, and it always will be. I was like any other kid, you know, into sports and playing soccer and stuff, but really my first love was uh, was surfing. I grew up just spending a lot of my summertime at Virginia Beach and then down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. The 13, 14-year-old me was, was you know, only cared about surfing magazines and looking at surfing and trying to surf the tiny waves of the East Coast and boogie boarding and playing beach volleyball and skim boarding. Uh, I was always super into that. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, my, my dad and my grandfather, they, they love fishing and kind of showed me the, the ropes of fishing. You know, we used to do a lot of flounder fishing and things around the, the ocean and then my grandfather you know, showed me a lot about bass fishing and kind of pond fishing as a young kid, which I was super into. Kind of all my creative life lines all came from Virginia and really going back to high school. I'd known Mason since I was a kid. I was really good friends with his sister. And I knew Mason when he was like, I don't know, I was in like in 10th grade and he was in sixth grade. And I can remember walking down to the middle school and. Seeing his band, <laughs> it was like sixth grade band, play, and I was always sort of attracted to. It. I was like, I want to be in a band with that kid one day. And Don't just stand there. I went to University of Virginia, and that's where I met Chase. You know, we were sort of into this kind of bluegrass type style singing. Raise your guns and let the lead fly. Into the same sort of music, I don't know, bluegrass with sort of a punk soul to it. And I mean, really, it was like in the late 90s, we just started a band called Wrinkle Neck Mules. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I mean, I don't, I, I could barely play, I didn't really know what I was doing. I did, but we sort of scrapped and clawed and had almost like a fraternity cover band kind of thing for a few years before we got serious about trying to make an album, and we made an album kind of in the early 2000s. I mean, we honestly made an album on a home computer back when that was not a thing. I mean, this was like 2002, when home recording was not a, really as prolific as it is now. And we we made this album with no expectation. I mean, I think we printed a 100 of them to start out. We, we thought that we were gonna have a skeet shoot you know, just to to, to shoot up the, the 98 of them that we weren't going to be able to give away to our mom and dad. We sort of just sent it out to some people, and, and we began to get this kind of critical response to it that we never expected. And I remember getting an email from, like, some German DJ about how much he loved the thing and how much he was playing on his radio show. And, and we... I mean, me, I, I fell sort of hook, line, and sink over the stuff. I was like, whoa, you know, this we can do this. We can do this. And therefore, we, we, we jumped in and started playing shows kind of a year after we put this album out. We threw our hat in the ring to be full-time. And so that's what we did. I mean, we were out in a van playing 150-plus shows a year all over the U.S. and, and um, some over in Europe and it was it was crazy fun. I'm so tired of being in this bedroom. At one time, there was a a clothing business that we were, as a band, sort of loosely associated with. They were giving us clothes, and Chase, who's a real prominent figure in this whole story, he's an incredibly talented graphic artist and this clothing company had found out that he you know, had this talent and they asked him to do some t-shirt designs for him. And this is, I don't know, man, let's call it 2008. And he did. I mean, he spent some time and we, again, we we're all looking for places to make money. And so he, he spent some time making these, these shirts and doing these drawings. And there was one that just had like hibiscus flowers and then the other one had shrimp. He did some really cool stuff. In the end, they didn't, they didn't end up using them for one reason or another. It was three, and, three or four years where we were full-time touring band, doing nothing but that. We were doing it. We were doing it. And, and we had like a cult reaction to the band. I mean, it wasn't, the, it wasn't a huge band. I mean, it, it, but as bands go, you know, it was a successful band and we were able to sustain ourselves for a long time but then in the late 2000s 08 09 we started to to rethink things things were changing for us all personally and we were kind of wondering what you know, where does this all go and I mean it's not an easy life you can imagine being out there and driving around in the van and sleeping two men in a, in a hotel room bed for every, every night. It, it's not that easy. We were changing them and I, I was married and I had a, a couple of kids by then and I think Chase was the same boat. He had, had his first child and sort of things were changing. We kind of decelerated the band intentionally in the, in the late 2000s. It made an irrational, uh, irrational rush to comfort (laughs) I guess. Well I moved to Texas at the time to take a job working with my in-laws for a number of different reasons and I was down here working uh, for a beer distributorship trying to support my family and and Chase was doing the same thing so we all kind of settled here in Texas. Chase went to architecture school, Mason went back to school too and so we were all trying to figure out what, what the next round was I guess. when this clothing company didn't use these drawings and I don't know another six months went by and Chase called me on the phone you know we talking all the time and he's like hey man I think I'm going to try to figure out how to make these shirts on my own and I was like oh sweet man well I'm you know I'm a sucker for a a bad idea let let me let me try to help you as we were developing the brand we didn't have a name and it was naming stuff is hard all the names have been taken (laughs) and so We were just kind of feeling around in the dark trying to find what really defined this brand. Are we a fly fishing brand? Are we a surfing brand? Are we a lifestyle brand? Are we a a fashion brand? When we hit on Howler, that was like the end of it. We knew absolutely that this was the essence of what we were trying to do. There were two things that like from the get go that we really wanted to make. I used to have this western shirt that was made by one of the old um, vintage western wear companies that I used to fly fish in. And it was like this threadbare thing with two embroidered daisies on each of the shoulders. Um, And we wanted to make a technical version of that. That was like 100% we want to bring the vintage Western shirt with the embroidery into the modern era from a fabric standpoint. And that was what became our gaucho snap shirt. And the same thing with the guayabera, which is a Mexican wedding shirt. It's got four pockets on it. No one was making one that, that was te- and technical. And like in Texas, it's hot all the time. It's hot today, it's November, the, whatever it is. It's hot on Christmas day. So you know, we wanted to make this guaybar. That was like this technical guaybar, and you know, probably stupid. I mean, we didn't know if anyone on Earth would want to wear a technical western shirt or a technical guaybar. But sure enough, I mean, I think we they did, and 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 that was, I mean, really and truly the seed of of what became Haller Brothers.
0: So you started this company, and what was your initial mission or like market niche that you guys decided you might be able to fill?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, that question sort of implies that we knew what we were doing. I mean, we, we didn't. I mean, uh, just like the 100 CDs we pressed for the band, I mean, we made this, this stuff that we wanted to make with no clue what we were going to do with it who would buy it, why they would buy it, you know, how they would buy it. I mean, I think we literally, we thought we would would package up all the stuff that we didn't wear ourselves and send it off to you know some island nation with all the um, shirts that say that the other team won the Super Bowl. Howler Brothers didn't exist one day and then we pushed go live on the website and there it was, boom, Haller Brothers. That was how we launched it. It was a nothing. I mean, it was we, we sold it through purely word of mouth and whatever good fortune we could come across for, I mean, I'd really say the first two years were that way. We didn't quite understand how the industry works. Yeah, it was, it was about just feeling our way through it. Little by little, starting to find a consumer base. At that time, when we were starting this, I mean, fly fishing, was really in a transitional phase where it was no longer, you know, the guy in the vest, you know, with the the plaid shirt and the cornball bucket hat. I mean, it was the fly fishing film stuff was starting to emerge. And you were really starting to see like a parallel between what was happening in fly fishing culture to what we knew from surf culture, right, and skate culture. And we were super into that. And so... 2012 or something but like we signed up to go to IFTD it's a giant trade show a fly fishing only trade show So you got Scott, Sims, Patagonia, Sage, all the big players in the industry, guys that have made the industry are all there. I mean, I can remember being there for the first time and just being like, oh my God, there's Andy Mill. Oh man, there's Flip. I felt like I was, you know, had just walked into Radio Row at the Super Bowl. It was like a bunch of celebrities to me, you know, I was fired up about it and put up a booth and, Try to become a part of a community, and you know there were a lot of little little fly shops that came in and took took a look at what we did and took a risk on us. We're like, sure, you know, I'll order twenty of these shirts or whatever. And really, the fly vision community was the first one to really dig what we did and just kind of understand it. Kind of little by little, we did the same thing in parallel with the outdoor industry and started going to outdoor retailer, which is a similar kind of trade show and and surf expo which is in orlando same thing it's a surfing trade and just kind of getting our name out there and and you know there are a lot of people that sort of took a risk on this little brand with that they they just had a gut feeling about it and, and we have a lot of our success we're thankful to them for it definitely four years ago three years ago we started realizing this was past the dream stage it wasn't just a dream that might fall apart in any second. We, we, we started to see that, man, shit, we've got, that we actually have customers, and we now are, we, we understand this. We wanna make what we wanna make, and so we do a lot of these small collections because we think it's fun, and some of the stuff is maybe too out there for the mainstream, or, you know, if we wanna make a shirt that's got a purple crawfish on it, and because we love it, and we love the story, and, then we're gonna do it, and so maybe that runs counter to the whole business model, but or having a business model. But we set out to do this thing to kind of make things that were off the beaten path. And these small collections that we do, we call them mutations, and they're sort of offshoots from some of our more traditional stuff or or some of our mainline things. And these mutations have been just, you know, they they're like wildfire. I mean, they've kind of create we've created a little thing where. People know if you don't get them, they're gonna be gone. They're, they're they're not. We don't make a lot of pieces of them, and we went from there. I mean, we've we've done hula girls, constellation pattern, Poseidon. The most out there one is probably squirrels, which was a very very limited run. Armadillos with roses, largemouth bass, grasshoppers, golden frogs for indie flies, blue crabs. That's probably the single most frequent email that we get at our headquarters is some guy emailing saying that he wants two whatever. Two Jerry Garcias, two lobster. I think the only one we ever responded to was Jimmy Kimmel asked for two pieces of pizza and we made a one-of-one for Jimmy Kimmel of two pieces of pizza. We got to present it to him in person at the show, which is cool. But like, you know, just recently, this this last September, Haller Brothers had our biggest month ever. We had our biggest single day ever. I think we launched a collaboration with Austin City Limits Music Festival, followed by a collaboration with Smith Optics, followed by a collaboration with Austin City Limits, the television show. We had a giant party in Austin that... You know, had a life of its own we 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 just all of a sudden we probably did more in September than we did the first 5 years we have in having business and that i think we're we're finally getting the kind of artistic license and and getting to do some of the fun stuff for 8 years in and been a been a fun slog but but uh, a long one too fishing folks love their brands and going back to the the origin of what we The brand the haller brand that we set out to create was never intended to be a fly fishing brand nor was it ever intended to be a surfing brand nor was it ever intended to be a ski brand or a skate brand it was never a sport specific thing right and so we set out to make this kind of lifestyle thing that suited the life that we led whether that's playing music shows Going fly fishing, going surfing, hanging out with your friends, whatever it is. We don't want fly fishing to be our only outlet. We don't want that to be our only consumer, nor do we want it to only be surfers. Or It's bigger than that. It's more inclusive and it's more of like a lifestyle thing. As I said, wrinkle neck mules had slowed down. A lot of it is a byproduct of Howler. I mean, Since we're all part of Howler too, we got to a point where touring is hard and and it's just challenging. But I'm sort of creatively um, grumpy and and really had these songs in me that I I wanted to pursue and I didn't want to necessarily do it in the same, in the Wrinkle Neck Mules format for my own reasons and because I didn't want to put that kind of pressure on everybody right now at the moment. I started thinking about it and really was, Maybe conceived in my mind as a solo project, but then I started talking to Mason about it, and we formed this duo. And it's called Leon the Third. I want to do an album, and I want to do it big, and I want to see where it goes. And so we we went out, went to Nashville during the course of, I guess, 2017 now, and made this album. We went and made this album and brought in a bunch of session players that were just incredible players and made this Leon the third album. We've been out, we put out an album on May 11th 11th this year and have been touring on and off behind it. First in, first out, it's just how it goes. I passed the house and your life was on. stack of the needle Can't find the haystack Much less the needed got a different angle than, than wrinkle neck mules it's a little more atmospheric and, and a little stranger probably not a little less country it's a little more atmospheric and i love it i love the way it turned out
0: what's next for howler brothers just
1: keep on keep on keeping on thinking about all kinds of things and and i think in this industry the apparel industry it's pretty easy to get too far ahead of yourself and and lose sight of what you're doing so you know we're trying to just gradually expand what we do we're moving more and more into outerwear and kind of bringing other elements into our line that we haven't had before i mentioned we you know we we really are indeed a rain jacket for a long time just put that out really just fine-tuned what we're doing with long pants and we're going to do some things for kids uh, talking about some other avenues that, that we think are, are coming for Haller. I, I don't want to over promise, but you know, uh, women's is in our, is, uh, we're discussing, um, we're discussing uh, expanding our retail footprint outside of Austin. Um, so kind of just layering on to what we've got, exp- gradually expanding our line, adding some other elements to that, um, while at the same time, you continuing to use the artistic license we have to do mu- more and more mutations and special collections and things like that where i think we really thrive keep on doing what we're doing and, and capitalizing on what we've been successful on so far
0: have it folks we hope you enjoyed the tunes and the tale many thanks to Andy for talking with us and letting us use all of his music we've got to run a quick ad here but stick around because we'll end with some final thoughts on howler monkeys from Andy this episode of the Drakecast is brought to you by Scott Flyrods last week I had the pleasure of attending the Denver Fly Fishing Show where I spoke with Theo Annis about why he trusts and represents Scott Flyrods Ready to rock? Yeah, I'm ready to rock. Okay, so Scott Fly Rods for me, uh, I've seen it from every level of the rod sales process as both a retailer, uh, having owned a fly shop, and now from the sales uh, representative side. And you know what first drew me to Scott was that it really was a homegrown product. When you hear Made in America, we think, okay, great, yeah, that's a nice thing. But you know, what I encourage people to do is actually go see Made in America. When you go into that factory, And it's regular blue-collar guys, like me and you, cutting graphite, you know, from flat sheets of graphite being cut and then rolled around a mandrel. From that beginning stage all the way to the final signature on the rod is a handmade rod. I just think that that gets somewhat lost until you actually go and see it. To check out Made in America for yourself, swing by Scott's production plant in Montrose, Colorado, USA. To get one of these works of art in your hands, head down to your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com.
1: You know, monkey they're monkey, they're kind of nasty too at times. Um, <laughs> and so they're, they're, we have this romantic vision of them, but they're, yes, they're, I've been to Costa Rica since then and had them like, you know, shitting all over my lawn chair and everything. I, d- I didn't like it quite as much, but we can leave that part out of the conversation. I prefer the the romantic one that's off in the tree, you know. Thanks for listening. This has been
0: The Drake Cast.